Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to this show. I want to thank you so much for your support I never want to take a single listener that chooses to engage with this podcast for granted. I didn't have expectations or goals heading into this, which generally speaking isn't great, but for this context, it was just better that I go in with nothing. And what God has done in allowing this platform to grow and to reach people is, well, it's been quite amazing. We have recently crossed a thousand downloads, and as best as I can tell, someone has engaged with this podcast in some form or another on four continents, in at least six different countries, and in numerous states. Places I have never been, people I don't even know, and that's honestly incredibly humbling, and if you know me well, kind of scary. I generally would never share metrics or analytics with you because it's just not important to me. But I felt it was a milestone type of a thing, and so I'm very grateful for each of you that has made the choice to join in on this journey with us, and I sincerely hope and pray that at some point along the way, you've been helped, encouraged, and reminded of the grace that we've been given and the grace we need to give. For the next few episodes, barring any changes or new opportunities, We will be beginning a series that I'm low-key very excited about. I believe that it'll be a stretching time for me, and I hope that it'll be a help to you. The series is called, as you've already seen in the title of this episode, Subtle Strongholds. And so allow me to explain. A stronghold, by definition, is a fortified place, a place of security or survival, a place dominated by a particular person or a group, or marked by a particular characteristic. The reality is, we tend to think of strongholds in national terms, a place that people retreat to for safety from an enemy or an attack. But the definition of a stronghold, when we really stop to think about it, is so true of so many things beyond that. We have fortified places in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. We have places of security that we retreat to for defense mechanisms, for coping tools, for social survival. When we are feeling attacked, we hide there. When we are uncomfortable, we run to it. When we are struggling, we lean on it. These are normal things for us to have as flawed, imperfect human beings. But the thing about a stronghold is that it's only supposed to be a place that you're in temporarily. In a good stronghold, you'll find resources, you'll find nourishment, you'll find refreshment and safety for the time that you need it. And equally important to know, however, is that another thing about strongholds is that if it is a dangerous place, it needs to go. If that stronghold contains things that are detrimental to you, It should have no place. What we will do throughout this series is walk through some subjects and topics that have made themselves strongholds in our lives. They're not the good kind. We don't find encouragement, refreshment, or nourishment by being in them. 
by running to them. In fact, many of these strongholds are things that we didn't even intentionally set up or we haven't even noticed that they have slipped in and they stayed. Hence the term subtle strongholds. In our minds, they're not major character-defining or life-describing things. To us, they're not a big deal. Because it's not like it's drugs or alcohol. It's not like it's an addiction. And I use those examples carefully and purposefully because, and this might not vibe with everyone the same way, but another word for addictions is dependence, obsession, fixation, and you guessed it, strongholds. It's something that has become a fortified place in our lives. It's not going anywhere unless we take action to move it. I have a dearly respected and extremely wise friend, his name is Joe, that has said something to me years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And it was super simple. He said, all sin is addictive. I don't think in any way that statement makes light of addiction. That's not my goal, my intent, or my heart. What I believe that it does is that it makes much of the things that we tend to think aren't that big of a deal. The things that we think, say, and do that cause us to miss the mark of the perfection of Jesus, which is that phrase right there, that is sin. All of it is addictive. All of it has addictive capacity. The capacity that drugs have to become an addictive and obsessive fixation in someone's life, anger has that same capacity. I don't want us to walk through life thinking that I can live and walk in anger anytime I want and for as long as I want. It's no big deal. I mean, it's not drugs, so it's not that bad. Again, the goal here is not to make less or light of substance abuse or addictions. That's serious. And we're not messing with that here. The goal here is to make much more of the very small and subtle things that creep into our lives that we arrogantly or ignorantly allow to set up a stronghold. So let's dive into the first, as we mentioned it already, anger. And here's where we're headed over the next 20 to 25 minutes or so. What even is anger? What are the ramifications of anger? Didn't Jesus get angry? What can I do to remove this stronghold from my life? What is anger? The dictionary defines anger in this way, a strong emotion, a feeling that is oriented toward some real or supposed grievance, a strong passion or emotion of displeasure or antagonism, excited by a real or a supposed injury, or insult to oneself or to someone else. So from that definition, we understand a few things about anger. Number one, the first thing we understand about anger is that it's more than just being uncomfortable. Anger is presumed to be a stronger emotion. Number two, anger is always directed toward someone. It's never just felt. We never just feel angry. We are angry at someone or something. And number three, anger is not always based on reality. Now, that's not my opinion. That is the literal definition. 
it is related to a real or a supposed injury or grievance. So in that, I intrinsically understand that I can walk in anger even if I have the mere thought that someone has offended me despite the fact that they might not have. Anger is an emotion. It can lead to actions for sure, and we can talk about that. But anger is an emotion, and emotion is hardwired into the way that God created us. We were created in the reflection of the image of a triune God. We exist as body, soul, and spirit. We are physical beings. We are spiritual beings. We are mental, volitional, and emotional beings. Those things are true of each and every single one of us. We have bodies that experience life through senses. We have souls that are purposefully and objectively designed to engage with God. We have spirits that encompass our mind, our will, and our emotions. God gave us emotions. Anger is definitely one of them. The subtle stronghold of anger is not a negative thing because anger exists. It's a negative thing when we live and walk in it. It's dangerous when anger is misused, misappropriated, and misdirected. What are the ramifications of anger? Anger is a trigger for our body's fight or flight response. In times of anger, adrenaline and cortisol hormones, those are elevated exponentially. And the brain tells the body, physical exertion is about to happen. Heart rate increases along with blood pressure and respiration. Body temperature rises and perspiration may even happen as a result. But what happens when anger isn't handled appropriately? Some of the effects of uncontrolled anger are physical altercations, abuse, assault, and even self-harm. Anger, when it's mishandled, can be a very serious threat to oneself and to others. But we always want to run to scripture here on these episodes. So what does the Bible have to say about anger? Well, we look at the story, number one, of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, we come across the first instance of anger. Cain and his younger brother Abel came before God to offer a sacrifice. Abel, who was a shepherd, brought a lamb. Cain, who was a farmer, bought the very best fruits and vegetables that he could assemble. Presenting them before God, God refused to accept Cain's offering, and he accepted Abel's offering. The problem was not that Cain offered something horrible. It wasn't like he gathered all the rotten fruits and vegetables and the stuff he would have thrown away anyway. He literally brought the very best that he had. The problem was that that's not what God asked for. Precedent had dictated that God required the blood sacrifice of a pure animal. But because God rejected Cain's offering, the Bible says that Cain got angry. And God literally has this conversation with him. And he says, why are you angry? If you just correct this, in other words, if you just offer what you are supposed to offer, we can move forward. Uncontrollable anger is very near and it desires to control you. And in his anger, Cain went out and he murdered his brother. He was so mad that it led him to lash out against his brother, who actually didn't do anything wrong against him. Esau and Jacob. In Genesis 27, we learn about twin brothers, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older of the two and therefore entitled to the inheritance, the blessings, and the birthrights over Jacob. 
However, he traded away the birthright for a bowl of soup, and he was tricked out of the blessing. So when he learned about the latter, he was angry and he wanted to kill Jacob for tricking him and taking advantage of him, not once, but twice. We talked about this on a previous episode about forgiveness. The anger was something that Esau lived in and he walked in for years, but at some point along the way, he let it go. Before it led to tragic circumstances and reactions, he let it go. Moses. In Numbers chapter 20, Moses is fed up with the Hebrews complaining again and again and again and again. He is so frustrated with their dissatisfaction of the goodness of God, even in the desert, God tells him to speak to a rock and that he, that God, would make water come out of it so that the people could drink. But in Moses' anger and in his rage, Moses strikes the rock twice. And while that might not seem like a big deal, because, well, the people were being mad annoying, God saw it differently. In fact, this single act of uncontrolled anger was the sole reason that Moses was not allowed to see the land that he spent more than 40 years leading the people to. The land promised by God to his people, Moses did not get to see, he did not get to experience because of this one moment. Now, the punishment was not directly related to the anger but to the fact that in Moses' anger, he failed to display the goodness of God to his people. There's King Saul. The first king of the nation of Israel would live in constant anger. Anger at Samuel for telling him that God would no longer allow him to be king. Anger at David for being the one chosen to replace him. Anger at David for being praised more than he was. And of course, there are countless other examples that time would not permit us to dive into, but I want to step out of the examples and into what the Bible says about anger. The book of Proverbs was written primarily by King Solomon. They are not a mere collection of witty sayings, but a collective of wisdom and instruction. They were written and taught by Solomon to his son, and we get to benefit from them today. We learn about judgment, we learn about justice, we learn about truth, we learn where to find knowledge and wisdom and how to exercise discretion and discernment. We might think of Proverbs as just old, traditional, or cliche sayings passed down from generations past. But this book, the book of Proverbs, contains biblical truth and applicable teachings. And we learn some things from this book about anger. One of the things we learn about anger is that anger quickly reached for, anger quickly reached for leads to irresponsible, dangerous, or foolish actions. Proverbs 14, 17, he who is quick-tempered deals foolishly, and a man of wicked intentions is hated. In verse 29 of Proverbs 14, he says, he who is slow to wrath, which is another word for anger, is of great understanding, but he who is hasty of spirit exalts foolishness. Proverbs fifteen eighteen: a, An angry, hot-tempered man stirs up strife or conflict, but he who is slow to anger appeases that strife. Proverbs sixteen thirty two: He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who has control over his spirit is better than he who takes a city. 
Proverbs 29:22, an angry man stirs up strife and a furious man abounds in transgression. Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon, in chapter 7, in verse number 9, he says, Do not be quick in your spirit to be angry, for irritation settles in the heart of fools. The warnings here are for people who are easily angered, people who get angry at the drop of the hat, and then they drop the hat. The warning here is for people that have short fuses. We've mentioned this already. Anger is an emotion, and emotion is from God. Knowing that means that we know that it's supposed to be a good thing. But when it's reached for rashly or brazenly, when it's handled as an energetic reaction and not an emotional response, it's far too easy to act irresponsibly, dangerously, or foolishly. It teaches us that anger is not something that we should desire to be close to. Proverbs 22, 24, make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, you will not go unless... You learn his ways. In other words, unless he influences you negatively and you get a trap to your soul. Psalm 37, verse number 8. Psalm 37, 8 says, let go of or refrain from anger. It's not something that we should desire to be close to. There's a specific warning for fathers and ultimately for parents. In the book of Ephesians, it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Someone said it this way, when parents get angry with their children or in front of their children, when they have uncontrolled anger or they lash out in anger with their children or in front of their children, the children are the first ones to feel it and the last ones to get over it. As parents, we should want to be so far away from anger. This certainly doesn't imply that you'll never feel angry. It means that our children need it to be something that we control and not something that we let control us. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must put them all away. All of these things, you need to put them away. Put them far away. Anger, wrath, malice, which is another word for hatred, slander, which is destructive speech. And then he says obscene talk, which is another way to say it is disgusting speech. Put those things away. James, the earthly half-brother of Jesus, said in his letter, Know this, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We definitely live in a time when so many people are seeking to engage in conversation to win the title of undisputed champion, instead of seeking to understand context. We are guilty of listening far too little and talking far too much. But what often happens is when we are quick, when we are so quick to speak with our words, those words can often come from a place of anger. It teaches that living in and walking in anger is not without consequences. Proverbs 19, 19, a man of great wrath, a man of great anger will suffer punishment. For if you deliver him, Yet you must do it again. People controlled by anger will constantly live in the consequences and the aftermath of that anger. Proverbs 25, 28. He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Walls were everything to a city. It was a testament of defense. It was a show of affluence. It was such a big deal. When you read about the the city of Jericho 
and how Joshua led the Israelites into that city. It talks about the walls, how massive they were, how strong they were, how big of a deal it was that they were so strong. When we live in and we walk in anger and we have no control over it, but it controls us. When it has become a stronghold in our lives, we are like a defenseless city. It teaches also that anger does not produce, and it is not produced by good things. So this uncontrollable anger, this anger that we reach for in a rash sense, the effect of it is not good. And most often, the cause of it is not good either. James goes on to say in the next verse following the one that we mentioned earlier, for the anger of man, for the wrath of man, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Many times in our relationship with others, we live in a cycle. Someone says or does something unkind to us and we get angry and react harshly which causes them most often to react in anger. And we get angry at their anger. And it just escalates back and forth. And a way to avoid that is to respond with love and grace. But as we've walked through what the scriptures teach about anger, as we've looked at examples and touched on principles, there is the age-old question that people often reach for and inquire. Didn't Jesus get angry? This is a question that I have heard specifically. And maybe you've heard it or maybe even thought it yourself. And it is a thousand percent valid to ask that question. You're not wrong for noticing that or wanting to bring attention to it. It's not easy. But it's also not too difficult. Here is what is not an appropriate response to that question. Well, it's because it's God, so it's fine. And while there's truth in that, while it's true that he's God, we have to understand why it's okay. Well, Jesus had a righteous anger. Again, very true. But we have to look at what that means. Like, what does righteous anger mean? Because God calls us to righteousness. God has positionally declared us as righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So does that mean that it's okay for us to react in anger when someone cuts us off? When someone does something unkind, is that okay because we're righteous? So let's talk about it. The instance that people are referencing when they ask the question is when Jesus enters into the temple and he cleanses it of people practicing things that do not belong there. Here's something you may or may not have known. He does this not once, but twice. Once at the beginning of his public teaching ministry and once after he enters into Jerusalem three years later, just prior to his crucifixion. These accounts in scripture tell of how Jesus responded to seeing what the place that was designed for worship had become and how it had become this place of trade and of profit. And so he flips over tables, he tosses money on the ground, he makes a whip and drives out people and animals, and that is an, an incredibly aggressive response. We're going to walk through this and talk about why it was appropriate. Ephesians tells us that in our anger, not to sin. The command is not to avoid anger. It's not to suppress it or ignore it, but to deal with it properly and timely. So from that, we see that anger is something that we can experience without actually sinning. It's not a loophole. It's not fine print. It's not a secret addendum. Again, anger is an emotion. 
and emotion is from God. And because it's from him, it's good. But we often take it and we make it not that way. So, number one, Jesus had the proper motivation in his anger. He was angry over the right things. It wasn't from a place of selfishness, of pettiness, or of personal slights. As God in human flesh, he was angry over the fact that the place of worship, that the place to worship God, was being abused and misused. His anger, Jesus' anger also, not just had the proper motivation, but the proper focus. He wasn't angry at the people. His anger was directed toward the sinful behavior and the injustice that they were practicing. His anger also had the proper accompaniment. He wasn't just angry and lashing out. His anger was coupled with grief and sadness. The reason that's important is because there was no hatred or animosity felt by Jesus or directed at the people. Jesus' anger had the proper control. While we can look at this scene on the pages of scripture, and we could look at a scene like this and say, well, clearly he was out of control. No one else really saw it that way. They didn't like it, of course, because it upset their prophets and it upset their control over the people. But no one responded that he was out of control. Jesus was in total control. He was not being controlled by it. And Jesus' anger had the proper duration. The first time he did it, he left. And there's no indication that he held on to that anger for years and for years. There's no reference to him holding a grudge over it. He dealt with it and moved on. Now, this is important. Jesus' anger was described as zeal, which is a word of passion and not of fury. It was pure. It was justified because it was, at its root, at its core, it was concern for the holiness of God and the worship that he deserves. Our anger is almost always not that way. We get angry at someone and our concern is ourselves. We live in a day where honestly, and maybe you've noticed this like I have, I legitimately believe that people enjoy being angry. People look for things to be angry about. There's little peace. There's little calm. Anger over politics and politicians coming from all sides, by the way. Anger over social and racial injustice coming from all sides as well. Anger over sports, music, entertainment stars voicing their opinion. Anger over incompetence, insurrection, inconsistency, ignorance, and instability. Anger over anger. Anger over a lack of anger. Anger, anger, anger. It was never intended to be an emotional weapon. Anger was intended to be stewarded well. So what can I do to remove this stronghold from my life? In these last few minutes, we'll wrap this up. When anger settles in, it's important that we acknowledge it. We can't pretend like it's not a big deal. We can't chalk it up to our heritage. Well, I'm from, so it's just how we are. That is a poor excuse, and honestly, it's super condescending. When anger has established a stronghold in our lives, we have to own it. It's not, well, I only blow up sometimes. It's not, well, at least I never hit anyone. It's not, well, I only get mad at legitimate things. Anger is a subtle stronghold because it doesn't take much for us to become angry people. We don't particularly wake up and choose, you know what, today I'm going to be really angry. When we react out of control, when we allow people and circumstances to dictate how we respond, we are in danger of allowing anger to set up a stronghold. And 
overcoming anger is a move of the Spirit of God in our lives. Yes, there are practical action steps that you can take to manage your anger. Counting, taking deep breaths, stepping away for a timeout, etc. And those certainly can and maybe do provide respite. But we've worded this section in the way that we have. Because living and walking in anger is not something that we should just want to manage. It's something that we should want to have removed. The way we handle our anger is not something that we can control in and of ourselves. It is a work of the Spirit of God. He removes the strongholds. And we can walk and live in light of that. It's not that the emotion of anger is removed from our life. It's that it's no longer a stronghold. It's not controlling us. With the Spirit's help, we can direct it properly and base it upon appropriate motivations. This doesn't necessarily happen overnight. Don't get me wrong. God is fully capable of bringing dramatic change immediately, and he often does. But what will happen is that the growth and changes that you experience as a result of this stronghold being removed, that will be something that becomes more and more evident over time. When we're honest with ourselves and before God and say, God, I have this anger problem and I cannot control it. I need your help. He can and does step in. And from that place of humble, open transparency, he'll help you. From that, we walk in reliance on him, on what he has done. Will there be times that you mess up? Yes. Will there be times that you reach for anger like you used to? Of course. But it won't be something that defines you. It doesn't have to be that stronghold that it once was. If you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, maybe you have questions on what that means or what it would look like, that is a good place to be. I want to encourage you to reach out to me, and in just a moment, I'll let you know some ways that you can do that. Know that this is a place where you will be loved, and you will find grace for wherever you are in life. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell me about it. There are a few ways that you can connect with me. By email at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. In addition, you can find a link to our brand new website as well as my socials in the info section of this episode. Also, if you could please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review or click on that subscribe and follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. And as you head into your week, as you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face, or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater still.